welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm your host, Ross Chevalier. In this episode, I want to speak about methods to get your guitar sound into your interface or your computer and explore the different routes that different makers provide to us to make recordings at home or in the field. Here's our quick list of input types. Some type of USB connection between a device and a computer, such as perhaps from a modeler or a floorboard device, such as a Line 6 Helix. A balanced XLR connection from a load balancing attenuator that provides cabinet and microphone simulations, such as a Two Notes Captor X. Third option is a fiber optic connection from a load balancing attenuator that goes to a dedicated interface port, such as what you will find on a UA Apollo when fed from a UA aux box. Fourth option is a USB or potentially Thunderbolt connection from a dedicated audio interface, such as a Universal Audio Apollo, a Claret Plus, a Focusrite Scarlet, a Neve interface or SSL interface that has one or more inputs. The next type is a USB connection from a digital signal processing amplifier, such as we would find in any of the Spark amplifiers. Next option is a balanced XLR connection from a digital signal processing amplifier, such as a Fender Tone Master. Our next option is an XLR connection from an acoustic amplifier, like an AER, or from a PA system. And finally, a line-out jack that we may find on a particular amplifier that's putting out an unbalanced line-out signal. What is common with all of these inputs is that the guitar has to go through some form of interface that converts the analog audio signal from the pickups into a digital signal to get it into the recording software. This process involves something called an AD or analog to digital converter. Most dedicated recording interfaces also have a digital to analog converter to take the digital output and convert it into analog so you can play back through powered monitor speakers. If all these options sound potentially complex, well, they are, but I'm here to help. Let's separate the dedicated interfaces from the rest and deal with the all digital devices first. Anything that provides the audio signal over USB is doing pure digital and typically, though not always, this limits the bandwidth of the signal itself. This is not as bad as it seems because compact disc audio uses 44.1 kilohertz, and we know that compact disc sounds great. MP3 files can be horrible or great sounding, but that depends more on their encoding method. But all MP3 files max out at 48 kilohertz. And so most of the devices that send your instrument signal direct to the computer via USB, where that device is acting as a basic AD converter, are limited in their bandwidth to 48 kilohertz. Now, despite what you might hear or read, this actually sounds really good. And most of the poo-pooing of USB Direct comes from people with some skin in the game that involves selling you something more expensive. Although, professional recording engineers and recordists and producers 
will usually want a file that is raw and has no compression. The common WAV or WAV format is a good example of this. The files tend to be very large and typically will require some processing before coming out as a final product, whether that product is on disk, as an MP3 file, or a file built specifically for streaming. The use of the USB connection on these devices is proven. It can be quite inexpensive and will get your instrument signal to the computer. If the device in question is an amplifier or board, amp sims, cabinet sims, and effects can often be added before the signal reaches the computer. This means that the computer is recording what we call a wet signal, because all the things mentioned are embedded in the recorded file and can't be removed after the fact. If no effects or amp or cabinet sims are in the chain, then the signal received at the computer over USB is considered to be dry. But that means you're going to have to use some methodology, typically a plug-in, for amps, cabinets, and effects added in post-processing in your digital audio workstation or recording software. All plugins create CPU load, and the more plugins you use, the greater the chance of some data loss as the computer's CPU hits the wall. So if you're going to follow the plug-in route, that is record dry, adding effects and amps and cabinets later, you're going to want to make sure that your computer has a good fast CPU and lots of memory. These are the core requirements. Now, a lot of manufacturers make a big deal about multiple CPU cores. This is a wonderful thing, but they actually only matter if your DAW software, Digital Audio Workstation, can actually recognize and use all these extra cores. USB cables are also run length limited. It's a very simple connection and cables longer than 10 or 12 feet can start to have issues. There are USB to ethernet and on the other end, ethernet to USB powered extension devices that use category six network cable between them for better signal over distance. But that incurs more cost and a more complicated setup. And this is what drives us to dedicated interfaces. This dedicated interface will commonly have dual use sets of ports that will accept balanced XLR, balanced one quarter inch, and unbalanced one quarter inch. These inputs are typically low impedance and handle long cable runs pretty well. But if you're connecting a tar directly as an example, you're going to have to turn up the input a fair bit to get a decent level. Some interfaces offer a dedicated high impedance input for guitars. In this way, you can get a decent signal level without turning up the input level too high, but you always have to consider the length of the instrument cable. High impedance cables should be straight and no more than 25 feet long. Otherwise, signal loss is going to become evident, particularly in the high end. While wireless systems work well, mostly, in gigging and band scenarios, they are prone to noise in studio because they work in very crowded radio bands. If you've got a case where the instrument is going to be far from the interface, the best practice is to use a DI box. This takes a short guitar cable from the guitar into the DI box 
and then uses a balanced XLR cable back to the interface. The radial stage bug family of products, such as their SB1 Active, are superb options in this regard. Now, if you're running from one of those amps that only has a line out, you're going to run that into one of those ports. It's going to be unbalanced, and again, you might want to look at using one of these impedance reducing boxes like the stage bug. Be aware that of all the options, the line out unbalanced mode is probably going to be the lowest quality. Now let's suppose that you're miking an amplifier. Well, in that case, you're going to use high quality XLR based cables and your microphone of choice must be low impedance. For guitar amplification, the Shure SM57 is renowned and inexpensive. If you're direct miking an acoustic guitar, well, you're going to look for more suitable microphones. And if taking the output from a built-in pickup on an acoustic, again, where distance becomes an issue, and honestly, even when it's not, then an impedance conversion box is your best bet. Many acoustic guitars use piezo pickups, which have their own challenges. So in this case, consider a radial stage bug SB4, which is designed specifically for use with piezo electric pickups. For any serious studio work where I'm using the in guitar pickup, there's always an SB4 connected between the guitar and the interface via a long balanced XLR cable. Dedicated interfaces add another value proposition appreciated by vocal recordists, but often missed by those recording instruments that deliver sound through pickups. All decent interfaces include a preamp dedicated to each channel in the interface. So if your interface has two inputs, there are two preamps. If it's got eight, well, then there are eight preamps. Most of the preamps we find in these interfaces are pretty darn good. But of course, the more you spend, at least ostensibly, the better and more versatile the preamps will be. For example, the superb and inexpensive Focusrite Scarlet units have very good preamps considering what they cost. Spend more money, get an SSL interface, and you're going to get a better preamp. The Focusrite Claret Plus series have much better preamps than the Scarlet's, but you're paying a fair bit more for those interfaces. The Unison preamps found in Universal Audio devices are also excellent, and they're a bit unique because the UA Apollo interfaces have their own DSP units on board. They actually allow you to load a preamp plug-in directly to the Apollo interface channel for that specific preamp sound, and those are not placing load on your computer. Of course, you have to buy the appropriate plugins for the studio board sound that you want. I've acquired over time a number of different preamp plugins. They do sound different. And you may get some for free with your UA Apollo, typically the UA 610 preamps, very good ones. But you may also choose to buy additional plugins. I've got a whole set of different plugins that sound like different Neve console preamps. I've also bought an Avalon 737 preamp 
because I like it best when I'm recording acoustic instruments, especially acoustic instruments that have piezoelectric pickups. But this more flexibility equals more cost. Using a preamp in the interface gives you a slightly wet signal, but generally that's to your benefit and not your detriment. It's the primary reason that people will say that an audio track recorded through a dedicated audio interface sounds warmer and more natural than audio that comes in through USB. Now, of course, you can add preamp plugins much later in post-processing, and depending on your DAW, you can apply them on the bus, or you could actually load them directly on the input channel itself if you want that signal that's coming into the DAW to be completely dry. Now, of course, it's not just the input method that affects the overall sound. It's a whole chain of things. The quality of the guitar cable matters a lot. Frankly, a lot more than many people understand. Don't get hosed by claims of directional flow cables. There's no science that backs up this marketing bullshit. But do buy stage-grade cables with stage-grade connectors. That $10 cable is worth about the price of its components, or less than a dollar. You will pay more for a stage-grade cable, such as from Pig Hog, but unless you drop a 24-inch symbol edge down on the cable, that cable is going to survive for the longest period of time and have the least amount of noise and interference. As a recording engineer and producer, I've seen bad cables introduce junk and signal loss that you can't fix in post, even with a lot of fakery. Make sure the output jacks on your instruments are secure and that the jack is not capable of turning. A jack that turns could actually break the wires inside the guitar, and that's a bigger problem than you're going to want to like. If you hear hum, reroute the cables, meaning lay them in a different area, or change them entirely, or move the instrument. Single coil pickups sound great, but they tend to be noisier, and so you need them farther from sources of magnetic fields. So don't play right in front of the amplifier speaker. Pedals can introduce their own noise, and those cheap pedal connection cables are the worst thing ever. For myself, and for the boards I make for others, I make my own. And I make these cables only as long as they need to be. But you may not want to go the trouble of using a screwdriver and a pair of scissors to make your own patch cables. In that case, spend the money on name brand patch cable and test one before you buy a bunch of them. Personally, I'm using the cable kits from Crosby right now, and I'm very happy. If we want to purchase pre-made cables, I recommend the flat patch cables that come from Ernie Ball, or the audio blast cables that are extremely well made and come with Eminence brand connectors. I get the audio blast cables from Amazon, and they're surprisingly inexpensive because, frankly, not everybody knows about them in the miasma of crap cables on that site. For the USB-connected devices, be sure that the USB cable that you use is rated for data. So many USB cables these days appear to have the proper connectors, but they're only set up to provide charging. USB cables in general are such a disappointing scam that I'm always concerned about buying a USB cable. I hope that you found this episode valuable. 
Thanks as always for listening. Please leave a comment or send in a question. I read and respond to all of them. For the podcast at thatguitarlover.com, I'm Ross Chevalier, and I bid you peace.